prioritize the, the Bible. It's our book. We turn to it each and every week. And This week is, is somewhat special that you get to move your Bible tassel over from Galatians all the way to the New Testament, or from Genesis to Galatians in the New Testament today. Galatians chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning, and I'm going to read the passage before us. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a, a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I still trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand Your Word well. As Your people gathered with Your book open before them, would You stir in our hearts. Equip us for works of ministry. Call us to Yourself. Show us Your glory in this passage. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Wyatt Earp, as portrayed in the movie Tombstone, was a legendary lawman. He was notable in his reputation being able to keep control of, the, of the, the outlaws in his time. But he decides in the movie, to at least, to retire and to move to Tombstone, Arizona to settle down with his family. He wants to do a nice, easy retirement where he makes some money and doesn't have to deal with outlaws anymore. But the problem was, was that in Tombstone there was this outlaw gang known as the Cowboys. And they kept causing trouble. According to the movie... They would have uh, just commit random acts of violence. They would ignore the law completely. They would be killing at will. However they decide. I mean, it was the, the Wild West where they exerted their, their full force. And Wyatt Earp, this notable lawman of, of great, strong reputation for being able to handle such situations, manages it to, to remain an observer, to, to stay out of the fight as he desires as one who's retired and wants a, a nice, easy life with his family. He, he manages to stay out of it for a while. Trying to let the law run its course until, according to the movie, one of his brothers is shot and killed and the other one is wounded. After that scene, things shift. Wider puts on a badge as he could no longer remain an observer on the situation. Something so dear to him, something so sacred to him, had been attacked. So much so that he had to act. He could no longer just observe. You might remember this famous scene 
that also plays before every OSU home football game where he says to his enemies, the Cowboys, he says, you called down the thunder and now you got it. There's an early church scholar named Jerome who once said that when he read the letters of Paul, he could hear thunder. Galatians is thunderous. And as we look at the book of Galatians, we've got to wonder what, what brought the thunder from Paul? Why is he so thunderous in the book of Galatians? There's something so sacred, so vital, so dear to Paul was under attack. It was the gospel. And Paul lovingly brings the thunder because the gospel was being distorted. And the church was being disturbed. One commentator says this, It's from the beginning to its end. It's six chapters of 149 verses bristle with passion, sarcasm, and anger. Perhaps this is nowhere more evident than in these first ten verses of Galatians chapter 1, where, where Paul writes warning the churches of Galatia and warning us to not desert the gospel. And this thunder is the thunder we want to roll over us today as a church. Not all topics that are attacked deserve or even receive this kind of response in the Scripture. You don't see Paul respond with thunder in every situation. But when the gospel gets messed with, that draws Paul's attention. It's troubling the church. And indeed, he opens up. And as we begin, as Paul writes the letters to these churches of Galatia, there's a sense that that no word is wasted But each one of them is pointed at his cause. Listen to what Paul says in verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Paul's apostleship was most certainly, his authority most certainly was under attack, was being undercut by his opponents in Galatia. They were questioning Paul's apostleship, questioning Paul's authority. Is he one like these other apostles or is he not? And so Paul answers, every word is is, is counting here, Paul answers that he is an apostle. He's not from man nor through man. I mean, he's, he's saying this word apostle, he is saying that he is unique in his apostleship. Not unique apart from the other apostles, but he's not just a normal guy. This is an apostle from God. He has this an authoritative office, and this is the office, Ephesians 2.20 says, upon which the, the church was built, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Paul is claiming to be one of those people, a foundation layer within the church. And so he is saying that his apostleship, as one who is identified as one of the twelve by all of the early church, and his authority as an apostle are from God. He didn't come up with it. No one came up with it. It's from God. You might remember the story of Saul. It's where Paul comes from. And as he says he's an apostle, it recalls that story where Paul was on, or Saul was on his road to Damascus, where he is going to imprison and torture and torment and do whatever he can to disrupt, distract, and, and just completely dismantle the people who follow Jesus Christ. And on that road, he sees a blinding light that knocks him to the ground. And he hears a voice. 
calling out to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the voice is the voice of Jesus Christ, who transforms him in that moment from one who is now like a a terrorist of the church to one who is going to be sent out as an apostle, specifically as an apostle to the Gentiles. So he was commissioned by Jesus. He met the risen Christ and was made an apostle by Christ himself. So when we say that Paul is an apostle, we are, we are reminded of and recalling a crazy story where God took someone who was as far away from him as possible and transformed him and used him instrumentally to be a foundation layer within the church. This is what the God who raises the dead does. He transforms people like Saul. And since his conversion, since his calling, since his meeting with Christ on the road to Damascus... This Jesus and this gospel and the resurrection are never far from Paul's lips. And as an apostle with, from God, with authority as a foundation layer, he writes. He doesn't want any of that to be undermined as he writes to the churches in Galatia. Now this is the only letter amongst Paul that isn't either addressed to an individual or to a, a church in one specific area. This is to the churches of Galatia. I have a map here to show us where Galatia is. You might see just north of the Mediterranean Sea. You have Galatia in the middle there. There's, there's kind of a, a long area there. And there's, there's kind of some debate of whether this is for North Galatia or South Galatia. A debate that we don't need to get into. But likely or, or probably or we think that, that Paul was writing to the churches that are in the, the southern part of Galatia. Churches that you see there. Towns you see there. Derby, Lystra, Iconium. This would have been in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And Paul begins his letter to the churches in this area, wherever they are, whether they are in the north or the south, with his customary greeting. So he writes, I'm an apostle, writing to you, and he says, as is customary in Paul's letters, verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul never tires of the gospel, does he? He's always reciting it. It is on him over and over again. And here's what he does here in the the intro. He gives, as he often does, a, a nutshell of the gospel. That this is Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us, to rescue us. He says, grace and peace to you. Luther, in his commentary on Galatians, says that this, is, this constitutes Christianity. Grace and peace. Grace is this unmerited favor, unearned, undeserved acceptance and forgiveness from God. It's, it's the free blessings of God that flow to sinners who do not deserve it. And it's absolutely necessary for us. We see this in Ephesians, right? You're saved by grace. You don't have grace, there is no salvation. So grace, he says to you. Absolutely free, it's absolutely from God, He is the source of it, and it's absolutely necessary. But grace and peace. Peace is the result of receiving God's grace. So Romans 5.1 says that you, you're justified, and because you're justified, you have peace with God. In Ephesians 2, it talks about how you, you have this grace and you have peace with God because of the grace that you've received. And now you have peace with other people as well. It flows out from there. But notice that, that by definition, both grace and peace are, are undeserved. By definition, they're undeserved and they flow from God. He doesn't say grace and peace to you from some other source, but it's from God. God alone is the fountainhead of both grace and peace. And there's no reason that it should flow to us. But what does he say? That Jesus gave Himself for us. There's no reason that grace and peace should be imparted or flow to us who are sinners 
But Jesus gave Himself for us that, the, that now there's a way for those things to come for us. It's not about what we have done or what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. That's what makes grace and peace flow. He gave Himself, He says, to deliver us or to rescue us from this evil age. Paul knows that with the onset of the, the resurrection of the, a new age has dawned, that someone has broken into the evil age, that someone has broken into the darkness, that something new has come, he had come to deliver us, he says. So Jesus has broken into this evil age. And as we sing, it says that he was laid down in grief, but he awoke with the keys of hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain. He broke into the evil age. And he came to rescue this word rescue is used of, of, in the book of Acts. These apostles use this word rescue to talk about the Exodus. Where God has the, the Israelites in Egypt where they are enslaved, He pulls them out of that. In other words, they are hopeless and helpless in need of someone to deliver them. And God, what does He do? He rescues them. He delivers them. It's also used of Peter when he's in prison. What do you do when you're in prison to get out? Well, you, you can't do much. And God rescues Peter, right? He rescued him. Peter didn't do it. God rescued him. It's used of Paul when a mob is going to destroy him in Jerusalem. Someone comes and pulls him out of this mob. He is rescued. He is delivered. That's the same word that's being used here. That is that, that we, Paul is saying that sinners are in that spot. Where Peter was in prison. Where the Israelites were in Egypt. Where Paul was with an angry mob around him. We are in need of rescue. But here's what he says, that the fullness of the Trinity, the fullness of the Godhead is the rescue team sent out to deliver and rescue such people. That the Son of God gave Himself according to the will of the Father all for His glory. So grace and peace to you. They flow through God and we stand as those who are in need of rescue in need of grace and peace. We need deliverance. And Jesus gave Himself. He came and He gave Himself to deliver us from this present evil age. Do you see what Paul is doing? Sure, he's, he's employing his somewhat customary greeting. But, but what he's doing and when he says all this stuff is he is undercutting every other gospel already. He is slashing them down just in his introduction by saying that Jesus gave Himself. By saying grace to you, peace to you, deliverance, all these words, he is cutting out all other gods. He is subversively undermining any distortion within the gospel right from the beginning. We know of, of Paul's opponents that they were adding to the gospel. We'll see this in a bit, but and all through Galatians, but, but at least they were adding to the gospel, saying you need Jesus and you need circumcision, at least. They were saying more, but not less than that. And Paul says that every single one of you need rescue. In other words, every single one of you are in danger. And the only way that you're going to be rescued, the only way that you're going to be delivered is through Jesus Christ. He's the one who gave himself. And so Paul, as he's starting out in, in a somewhat customary way, is, is really emphasizing a few points that distinguish this greeting from others. He's saying, my apostleship's not from man, it's from God. We want grace and peace to, to flow through you. And then Jesus gave Himself to deliver us from the present evil age. It, it's very Pauline greeting, but He emphasizes a few points. And so now, now we know, like, alright, customary greeting for Paul, what's next? Well, we see lots of what's next. So we look at 1 Corinthians. See His normal greeting. We should be able to figure this out. Right? 1 Corinthians, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. 
to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Sounds familiar? Grace to you. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Great. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And he continues, right? The Corinthian church was messed up, but he gives thanks for them in a lot of different ways. We flip over to Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We're starting to see a pattern, right? Paul's doing the same thing. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, and always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. He continues on. Let's look. Next book, Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. I mean, we skipped Ephesians, but you know Ephesians has a long, long introduction. But he gets to the, the next part, right? He says, well, Paul, an apostle, and you are delivered in all this amazing chapter 1. And he says, we thank you. We're really glad for you guys and all the stuff that you are doing here. So, so we know what's next, right? Right, Paul, he's an apostle. He's writing to the church of Galatia. Grace and peace to you. So the thanksgiving is next. right? That's what we're going to get to in Galatians. We look at verse 6 and he says, I am astonished. Where's the thanks? You know, like, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. It's not that there wasn't things to be thankful for in the churches of Galatia, surely. But there's something else going on that he has to get to immediately, right now. So much that he marvels. Now we think that the Galatians, the Galatians is maybe the first letter that Paul wrote. So maybe he's just not in his norm yet. Right? This is the first time. You'll get better as you go along. Maybe you'll give a little thanks before you just jump right into it. But my guess is that Paul, after having visited the churches of Galatia and being separated from them, hears news of what's going on there. And because he can't meet with them face to face or even soon, immediately sits down, gets his pen out, writes this down. You have to hear this. I am astonished of what is happening here. And so Paul moves from greeting them in the gospel to their desertion from it. And he says, I am astonished. I marvel. Is another way to say it. He's shocked. I'm astonished. This interesting word that he uses there, I'm astonished. He doesn't say, I am ashamed. He doesn't say, I am angry. Although he might have been both of those things. He doesn't say it. He says, I'm astonished. He's expressing in that word, I marvel, I astonish. Sorrow and displeasure. In other words, Paul knows these people. This is, this is not something that's... Dis- he knows these people. He, he cares for them. He loves them. He wants to call them back. So he's expressing his sorrow, but also this desire for them, this displeasure in the direction that they're going. He's astonished. And what's he astonished at? He says how quickly they're deserting the gospel that he delivered down for them. We know that the tearing down can happen quickly. The Georgia Dome was torn down on November 20th. The Georgia Dome took three years to build. 8,300 tons of reinforced steel was used to build it. Three years. And on November 20th, it was demolished in 12 seconds. You might have, have known this too because the Weather Channel had a, had a camera trying to film this and they like, as it's getting ready to implode, like bus pulls right in front of the camera. 
They missed all that 12 seconds of action. It's like, gone. Just a bus. In Exodus chapter 32, we have the Israelites. Fresh out of Egypt, right? You're enslaved. Now you're free. You're following God. He's making Himself very known to you. They had heard God speak to them at Sinai. They had agreed to the covenant that He had laid down for them. Moses goes up onto the mountain. They see that He has delayed. And so what do they do? They quickly desert God and they make an idol. This is the golden calf incident. This is astonishing. This is something to marvel at. That they so quickly turn away. And the Galatians are doing the same thing. Being quick to turn away from the gospel. And they're deserting it, is what he says. He's astonished that they're, they're quick in this, and they're deserting it. In other words, they're, they're in the process of switching allegiances. There's, there's like this battle going on. That's the scene of, of the switching allegiances, deserting. A battle going on. Two armies. You are over here, and you have your uniform on. You are over here, and you have your different colored uniform on. And what he is saying is that you are taking off your uniform and putting on this one. That's what the process that's going on here. You're switching sides. And he says of their desertion... That they are deserting Him who called them and turning to a different gospel. That is, their desertion of the gospel is the desertion of Jesus. Though they may not know it and probably don't think so, that's exactly what's going on. They're turning from the God who did give them grace, who did give them peace, who did deliver them and rescue them, who gave them life. The one that called them out of darkness into light is the one that they are deserting. And make no mistake about it, we are clear that in the book of Galatians that there is a different gospel that is being taught. And it was likely taught for people that were outside, that came from outside the churches of Galatia, came inside, infiltrated, and started teaching this false gospel. In other words, we should know that there was a mission team outside of Paul's mission team. There were probably lots of them. And they got there too. And they spoke their message too. This is to be expected. Anytime we're on mission, we ought to expect the same idea. We remember the, the story, the parable that Jesus tells of, of a farmer who sows wheat. And what happens when he's sleeping? The enemy comes and sows weeds right along with it. Paul went to the churches of Galatia, went to that area, and he sowed, and the enemy sowed as well. And the problem is, is that to some degree, this different gospel that has been sown is being accepted by the Galatians. So Paul says, verse 7, Not that there really is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. In other words, this this enemy mission team came in, preached a gospel, and it was a distorted gospel. Distorted how? Well, we we know at least some of this because we look in Galatians chapter 5, we get a little bit more context of of how this gospel is being distorted. In chapter 5, starting verse 2, look, he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So in other words, one of their teachings was that you have to accept Christ and circumcision. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You, should, you who to be justified by the law. There's another part of it. Not just circumcision. You have to keep some of the law as well. He says, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. If we look back in in Galatians 1, all the things that that Paul has said so far about Jesus, about how He came and He gave Himself 
to deliver us from the present evil age, there, there wouldn't have been a problem. There's no objections there. And in fact, we, we don't see Paul go after anything that they would have to, he would have to say about Jesus. It seems as if they, we agree on Christ, right? We need Jesus. He gave Himself to deliver us from this present evil age. We're all good there. But they also said that you need to accept Jesus and circumcision. Or Jesus and some of this Old Testament law to become the real people of God. To, to really be accepted before God, you need Jesus and this. In other words, they were adding to the gospel... And when you add to the gospel, you take it away completely. So circumcision in and of itself wasn't the problem. Paul was willing to have Timothy circumcised. Circumcision itself wasn't the problem, but they were saying that your standing before God is based upon Jesus and something else. In other words, you must have Jesus and circumcision. You must have Jesus and follow the law. You must have Jesus and. And whatever is put on the other side of that and distorts the gospel entirely. It is faith alone that justifies. It is faith alone that gives right standing before God. So in other words, anybody's right standing before God, it only comes through the faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. And, And the gospel is good news. As we know about news, the content of that news is vital. It matters. It's important. It's paramount. And we have to be precise. A triangle is three sided. Right? By definition, that's what a triangle is. So take away a side. Do we still have a triangle here? No. How about we add a side? Maybe that'll make the triangle better. Does that make a triangle? No. To add, to take away from it, it distorts it. And so one author says this, that to change the gospel in the tiniest bit is to lose it so completely that the new teaching has no right to be called a gospel. And there are... Many ways that we can add to the gospel, distort the gospel, set a bar, in other words. Another way to say it is that we're setting a bar for how you gain right standing with God. Here's how you get in. Here's how I get in, and here's how other people get in. We do this for ourselves and for others. So I can remember, as I was going through this in my New Testament 2 class, how my professor, he just started writing on the board. Tons of stuff. Go to Walmart only. No, ever, ever go to Walmart. Alcohol, no alcohol. Dress this way, don't dress this way. I mean, just throw out all sorts of crazy stuff on the wall. GMO food, non-GMO food. Gluten-free, non-gluten-free. All the stuff he wrote on the board. He's like, we do all of this. If we add any of this to the gospel, we have distorted it completely. If we say you have to have Jesus and you need to dress this way. If you say you, you have to have Jesus and you need to act this way, behave this certain way. You have, to, you have to have Jesus, but you need to have this level of faith. We're setting a bar to get in. And the bar to get in, according to the Scripture, is is perfection. Perfect righteousness. And here's the problem, is that every single one of us has already failed the test. No one qualifies for that. We have all been disqualified because of our sin. But what do we know about our sin? Jesus gave Himself to deliver us from that sin. So now, it's not about Jesus and how we dress. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's not about Jesus and our actions. Our standing is based upon Jesus' actions on our behalf. It's not about Jesus and our level of faith. That's not the, the, the level of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith being Jesus that saves us. Men are saved by faith in Jesus or they're not saved at all. Amen. And the Bible is really, really clear on that and we have to be too. So in our proclamation to others, Jesus alone saves, not Jesus and something else. That we're offering out to people, you can have right standing with God. You can have peace with God. We're not adding on to that other than that you have to do it through Jesus. 
In our own hearts, we need to know that the basis for our relationship with God, my standing with God, is not based on my work, but the work of Christ. My standing is not based on how faithfully I follow Jesus' teachings. It's not. The basis for my relationship with God is not how good I am. It's not how well I behave. My my basis for my standing with God is Jesus' work. It's His righteousness, not my own. If you're an unbeliever, I I want you to know that that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you can be right in God's sight by believing in Jesus. Anything else that you're outside of that is not the gospel. Believer, can we just breathe in that for a second? Like, take a deep breath for just a minute. Like, I know Paul's a little bit angry maybe here. Like, he's, he's bristling up and, and really bringing some thunder here. But like, can we just stop and breathe that in for a second? You have peace with God. And you didn't earn it. It was given to you. And it's not based upon how you're going to act and behave and how well you're going to do this from here on out. Like, you have Jesus' righteousness. Like how, how, how much peace do you get from that? How much, how much grace does God give that? Breathe that deep. Enjoy that peace with God because of what Jesus has done. There's no peace like the peace that flows and results from God's grace flowing to us through Jesus. Amen. But notice the exclusivity of what Paul is saying. That there's only one gospel. That there's only one message of salvation. That there are no additions or subtractions. There are not to be any additions or subtractions. That you're justified by faith in Jesus. That Jesus alone is the one who rescues and delivers. This year was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And the, the, the cry of the Reformers was sola fide. Faith alone. In other words, they were saying that you are justified. You are made right in God's sight by your faith in Christ alone. Not your faith and something else. Penance, indulgences, whatever else it may be, that you are justified by your faith. But this was a battle and and the heart, not of just the Reformation, but of the Scripture. Long before the Reformation came along, we have Paul battling this out in the Scripture for us over and over and over again. That this is the heart of the Bible, that God is redeeming a people for Himself. And how is He doing it? He's doing it through His Son. That is that redemption and salvation are in Him or they're not at all. Paul was battling that long before anybody named Martin Luther came along. So you're clinging to Jesus alone for your salvation, or you're not clinging to Him at all. There is no in-between there. And the content of that matters. To hold out any other gospel is to offer no gospel at all and no good news. Holding out a distorted gospel, as some in Galatians were doing, was troubling the church. That's what Paul says. It was troubling them. And troubling the church draws Paul's thunder. So he continues in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is not just some scholarly debate of high academic thinking Paul with some high academic thinkers there like getting out the the finer points of theology. No, they are distorting the gospel, distracting the church. And so Paul brings the thunder. This is not just a rivalry between Paul and his opponents. To Paul, this is life and death. The different gospel shouldn't be preached. Shouldn't trouble the church. That's not okay according to Paul. And so he says, if anyone is doing it, let them be accursed. 
Let them be eternally damned is what he's saying. And then he repeats it. Let them be accursed. I don't want any mistakes here. Let's not distort this word. Let him be accursed. He's not playing favorites here. He's like, even if I come, I'm like, me too. You can throw that right at me too. This is a serious warning to any of the opponents of the right and true gospel. To those who might be deserting the gospel, distorting the gospel, he says, let them be accursed if they're going to do this. Now, I think the Apostle Paul, he, he worked hard to lay a good foundation as an apostle, to lay the foundation that was based on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. In other words, he, he was laying on the foundation of the gospel. So he's building as an apostle on that. In other words, this, this cornerstone of Jesus, this gospel that he's laying, isn't even his. Right? Because he has that apostolic foundation that the church has been built on, that, that has been laid already, he's saying if anyone tinkers with that as an authoritative foundation from God, if anybody tinkers with that, then let them be accursed. And know that they're not just raging against Paul and some message that he is saying. They're raging against God Himself. Let them be accursed. And so think about this. What's the authority that Paul is wielding here? He says, even if I come, if an angel comes, if anybody comes, if they're preaching a different gospel, let them be accursed. In other words, he's appealing to, to a higher authority than any human, even than any angel. If anybody comes and preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. In other words, he's appealing to the authority of the gospel. The authority of the gospel that belongs to Jesus that was preached to him, that he preached to them. That's the authority. I'm amazed sometimes at how moms know the, the, the cry of their babies. Maybe that's just a dad. I, I don't know. I can't distinguish my cry the cry of my kids. Like confessions there. Don't know. Kid cries, could be mine, could be anybody's. But a mom, if their kid cries, they, they know it and they like, there's. They know the kind of cry it is too. So it's like whiny cry, actually hurt cry, you know, hungry. All these things. There's like all these categories. Blows my mind. I don't know if that's God given or I don't know something there. But I know that they've heard it lots and lots of times. Right? Babies come crying, and they've heard it over and over again, and and they study it. There's the connection there with it, and so when they hear it, they come running, and nothing better get in the way. And that's how believers are to be with the gospel. That they respond and recognize the right gospel and they come running. Because it's a known gospel. It's revealed to us. It's not covered anymore. It's been revealed to us in the authoritative word of God. And so the same authority that Paul is appealing to here is the same authority that we have and that we would appeal to. We would say that it's in the word of God. That this is our gospel right in front of us. It wasn't something that was new to the Galatians. It shouldn't be new to us. We can be sure of the right gospel and we can embrace it rightly. In other words, we don't have to desert it. We don't have to turn away from it. We don't have to distort it. We can stick to the true gospel. We can be sure that we're sticking to the true gospel because it is in front of us right now. It is revealed to us. It is our authority over us. And believers have the responsibility to know the true gospel and to not desert it for false gospels. And here's what I think is that the local church is vital here. How did this different gospel come to them in Galatia? It was taught. That's what he says. It was preached. And it was heard. Church, do not endure a different gospel than what is revealed in this word. 
if I or John or Jim or Jay come preaching to you or an angel shows up on stage and preaches another gospel, don't endure it. The true church is defined by two marks. Right preaching of the gospel and right practice of the ordinances. The, the, the Lord's Supper and baptism. That, that's what a true church is. If it doesn't have one of those, it's not a true church. And so, what is that? Right preaching of the gospel. So if there is no right preaching of the gospel, you do not have a true church, and you have my permission to not be in a non-church. Right? Don't be in a church that's not actually a church. You should be part of a local church. So if it's not a true church, then don't be there. And a true church is to be led by pastors who know their sheep, who lead them, who care for them, who teach them. As Acts 20 says, who don't shrink back from delivering the whole counsel of God's Word, who, who watch as shepherds should for the wolves, who are willing to beat them away so as to not provide mutton for wolves, right? And who heeds Paul's warning. 1 Timothy 4, he says this to Timothy, Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Go to a church that consistently preaches the one and only true gospel. Demand the gospel from your church. And entrust your soul to the care of other believing members and pastors who are watching over your souls as those who have to give an account. We hear the the thunder of Paul. May we not miss Paul's care for those he writes. And he says he's even willing to suffer for them. Verse 10 concludes and pushes to the next section as well. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now likely some of Paul's opponents were probably claiming... That, that Paul failed to preach the, the entire gospel, the whole gospel. Like He's got part of it, that Jesus part, we like that, but he's, he's leaving out circumcision. And, and why was he doing that? Why would Paul be preaching a, a less than a full gospel? Well, here's why. Because he knows that you guys are Gentiles. And he doesn't want you to have to undergo this circumcision thing. So they're probably like, oh, that's not a bad idea. you know? Like, we like that more. But they're coming after Paul for those kind of reasons. Paul doesn't preach the whole gospel. We preach the whole gospel. Paul's just trying to gain your favor. We're not trying to gain your favor. We want you to understand the real gospel, the whole thing. And what does Paul say to them? Let them be accursed. He pronounces a curse on any, including himself, who preach anything on top of what he has already preached. So I think that 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 was the accusation against Paul, but, but if you're trying to make friends, throwing curses out on people is probably not the way to do it. My guess is that he's probably going to suffer some backlash for saying let them be a curse. For calling them out pretty specifically. No, his goal is clear. What does he state? I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. This is the one to whom I belong. He's doing a lot more than throwing out curses and bringing anger. He's speaking the truth in love. he's, He's waving his arms before they go over the cliff trying to get them to stop. He's calling them back to life with God. Back into right relationship. Enjoying the good news. And the grace and the peace that flow through Jesus to sinners. Ultimately what he's trying to do is he is trying to gain their approval. Not for his sake. For God's sake. For their sake. Paul's willing to say, I'll suffer whatever you want to say about me if only you will stop. I'm trying to please God. 
I'm trying to call you off from the cliff. So much like the the cowboys in, in Tombstone, the Galatians and the opponents of Paul in the churches of Galatia, they, they called down the thunder, now they got it. But this is the most loving thunder of all. Don't desert the gospel. And let's let that thunder roll over us still. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for revealing your, your gospel and your word. Help us to be faithful, to know it, to study it, to live according to it. As a church, I pray for people who will only endure sound teaching, right teaching of the gospel. And God, if I or if another come and stand in this place, teach in front of this body, is preaching a false gospel, I say as Paul says, let him be accursed. We want the right gospel. God, I'm so glad that we can be sure of it, that we can be corrected by it, and that it fuels us forward. And I pray that you do that in all of us today. God, may this be a peace in in you working to preserve us in the gospel till your second coming. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.